Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you. Uh, I want to start by saying uh, thank you. Uh, you may not remember this, but a while ago you gifted uh, Pastor Wayne and Sally and myself and Becky with a Kings game as a thank you for during that time. So we went this Friday and uh, also say this because I, I think I lost my voice a little bit. Um, so if that cuts in and out, that's why. But I thought it was like the worst game ever. I was like, why did the church send us to this game? Because we were losing for like three and a half quarters. And then in the last six minutes, it was all worth it because we came back and won. And during that time, I didn't stop yelling. Becky can attest that the whole game, I just sat there silently, so disappointed in what was happening. And then I just yelled for six straight minutes. Um, so thank you. It was a really fun. I'm a huge Kings fan, and the Griswolds are maybe huge Kings fans, and so we really enjoyed it. All right, uh, today we are diving into an account of, uh, we're going to rehash this account, a real-life account of people falling out with each other, um, social inequality, some serious wrongdoing, um, and the pursuit of reconciliation after all of that. Uh, the story revolves around three people, uh, of whom uh, each come from very different backgrounds. And at the center of the story is uh, the love of God, uh, the restoration found only through God, and the exhortation to all of us to participate in that part of God's ministry. So we are in Philemon. We have here in this letter of Philemon a letter from Paul, who is imprisoned at the moment. Uh, a couple notes about this letter. Uh, it's the smallest letter we have from Paul. And it's the only letter from Paul that does not directly comment about Jesus' death or resurrection. We'll come back to that later, but I want to put that on your minds now. Um, before we read, finally, I, mean, I think it would be helpful to understand who we're dealing with here. Uh, and so I just want to bring up four people uh, that I want to mention. So first one is Paul. We're probably familiar with Paul. Uh, we just got to him in Acts. Um, Formerly Saul, who persecuted the church, was converted uh, to become a Christian by God. Uh, one of the greatest tools for God's kingdom, in the best way, the, the good usage of tool. And did a lot of missions work, uh, which is where he probably met the next two people. So uh, we have Epiphras, uh, who, again, met Paul on this journey, started a church in the Colossea area. And he work, works with Philemon uh, and partnered with Philemon to run this Christian community gathering, which is just an early church. We then have Philemon, who is a wealthy Roman citizen. Uh, he hosts the church at his home, which was common at the time because they didn't have designated church buildings like we do now. Uh, so they just met in people's houses, and Philemon hosted this church at his house. Um, and Philemon also had met Paul on one of Paul's journeys and came to know Christ through Paul. A side note is that uh, Philemon, being a wealthy Roman citizen, meant that he also had slaves, which was common at that time for someone of his status, um, which is introducing us to our next character, Onesimus, or as I was saying all week, one Simus. It's not, it's Onesimus. Uh, and he was a former slave of Philemon, and we know this through a letter that something bad had happened between Philemon and Onesimus. Uh, many theologians think that uh, he took money or cheated Philemon in some way. And so he runs off, becomes a fugitive, um, and somehow finds his way to Paul in prison uh, where he came to meet the Lord. So just to recap, we have uh, Paul who goes on a missionary journey. He meets uh, Epiphras and Philemon uh, who start a church together in that area. 
Paul leaves. Uh, the church is going with Philemon and Epiphras. Philemon has a slave named Onesimus. There's something wrong happens, and Onesimus runs away and finds Paul in prison. And Onesimus comes to, uh, comes to Christ. And so Paul inserts himself at the, in the situation here. And his, Paul's desire is to, that there be a peaceful ending to the story. And so he sends this letter to Philemon. And now that we know all the drama... Let's read Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me even for even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that, your prayers, uh, that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning, um, and I'm excited for our gathering here as we just get a glimpse into an old account in uh, an early church, God. And now we're here years, years later gathering um, as a church and still seeking to glorify you. I pray that you would give us hearts to receive. Uh, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, God, and that we may draw closer to you through your word. Give me the words to say, um, and we pray that through all things that you would be glorified. Pray this in your name. Amen. I think that today, in our letter of Philemon, we have a, a glimpse into this teachable moment that Paul knew that the whole world uh, needed to hear. It's, it's a testimony of how Christianity was and still is so uh, countercultural. And so this morning, I want to focus on verses 8 through 20. Um, Verses 1 through 3 are Paul's introductions. Uh, verses 4 through 7 are Paul thinking and appreciating Phil, uh, who Philemon is. 
Paul points out in that section. Uh, Philemon's love and faith to God and the saints. Paul is praying for Philemon's witness to be effective. Um, and there's a recognition of joy that comes from Philemon's uh, Christ-like love to the saints. Paul is saying, there's such joy knowing that God is clearly using you, Philemon. But it's after these kind words where Paul dives into the purpose of this letter. And the purpose is to encourage Philemon to forgive Onesimus. Paul's goal is that Philemon and Onesimus would reconcile. And so we see here in this short letter the importance of reconciliation and restoration in God's kingdom. So as we go deeper into this passage, I want us to keep those two words on our minds, restoration and reconciliation. I want to cover uh, a bit more of Onesimus' story before getting into the letter itself, just a bit more context for us. So he, uh, he wronged Philemon, runs away, somehow finds Paul in prison, uh, and on top of becoming a, a follower of Christ with his interactions with Paul, he becomes one of Paul's best assistants. Um, and so we already kind of get these notes of, uh, of reconciliation, as Onesimus has been reconciled to Christ through interactions with Paul. Christ got a hold of Onesimus' life, got a grip of his heart, and the Spirit worked a miracle in his life. And I think there's some connection to be made of his experience with Philemon and Epiphras. Um, as, as after running away from Philemon, where does he go to? He goes to the very person that helped his master come to know Christ. And so this reminded me of what Pastor Wayne has been uh, preaching in recent weeks about sharing the gospel, which is, uh, do not assume anything on the other person's behalf. Just share the gospel. And then also to trust that God will work in his perfect way. And so I can't, uh, all I have to say is that I can't help but wonder what being exposed to the truth of the gospel in Philemon's house, the house that hosted this Christian gathering, uh, seeing someone like a Roman citizen come to become a, a follower of Christ, what did that do in the heart of Onesimus? It probably, I mean, it seems like it definitely planted seeds, and uh, later on, God used the, that background to reach his heart. Because when life uh, proved troublesome, where did he go? He went, he went and found Paul. And so now the situation is that Paul has two close friends who have a division between them. Onesimus and Philemon have conflict, and he wants this relationship to be restored, uh, not just to its prior status, but to something uh, new, something that it's never been before. And so let's take a look at how Paul deals with this conflict between these two individuals. Uh, I see four things that Paul does. Uh, first is a gentle approach. Paul has a gentle approach in verses 8 through 9. He then has uh, a new perspective in verses 10 through 15. And then there's Paul's holy exhortation in verses 16 through 17. And then Paul's Christ-like model in verses 18 through 20. So, four things that I see from Paul when it comes to the art of reconciliation. Are we ready? Are we good to go? All right. Number one, Paul's gentle approach. Verses four through seven. Um, there's, verses four through seven, there's this loving and encouraging comments from a close friend. Uh, not just a friend, but um, a person of Paul's authority uh, and status kind of giving this nod of approval to Philemon. A new believer, a new leader in the church. Uh, it's very encouraging and uplifting. And after those praises and encouragement, Paul does something that is, I think, very hard. He mixes firm truth uh, with a soft approach. And I think that takes a certain art, a certain skill. Um, I know personally that's very hard for me to do. 
I don't have that down yet, when uh, if I need to address someone in regards to a change that has to happen, or I'm making a request, even from a position of authority, uh, it's hard to find that balance of saying the firm thing while also having that appropriate approach. So Paul does it beautifully here. He says in verse 8, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Paul's saying, hey, it's me, Paul. I'm a big deal. I could tell, just tell you what to do, and you would have to do it. Uh, but because of who you are, Philemon, because of our relationship, because of the respect that I have for you, I want to come at you out of love as a friend with a gentle hand. And I appreciate that. In a way, I think Paul is, is lowering himself to Philemon's level. Paul's meeting him where he's at. And this has got Jesus' signature all over it, right? This is a classic Jesus move with us, with his disciples. He's constantly lowering himself to meet us where we're at. We'll get to more of that later. So Paul's gentle approach includes uh, appreciating uh, Philemon's kingdom work. Uh, it's, a, it's Paul establishing his own authority, not in a bragging way, but in a matter of fact, meaning, hey, I'm getting serious now in this letter. I need you to pay attention. And he's explaining how he wants to appeal to Philemon. He wants to do it as an equal. And all of this, all of this approach is embodied in, in love. Love is the key to Paul's gentle approach. It's a love that comes from Christ, and it's a love that reaches out and expresses that Paul's got Philemon's best at heart. Again, very much a Jesus move here. Uh, next, we have Paul's new perspective. Verses 10 through 15 now show us how Paul conveys the situation in a new light. Remember that Philemon is the one who has been wronged in this instance, and so he may have a pretty bleak outlook on Onesimus and this whole ordeal. He's probably thinking, yeah, my former employer, or employee, he robbed me, he wronged me. This is pretty straightforward in how this should play out. But what Paul wants to do is he wants to paint a new picture here for Philemon. Paul starts by stating who Onesimus has become. Paul has taken on this fatherly figure to Onesimus because uh, he calls him his child. And already this, is so, this would be so informative to Philemon if he's reading this letter because, because of who Paul is again and the status that he carries. Paul accepting Onesimus and Onesimus already being a top assistant would speak volumes as to the transformation that has happened in Onesimus' life. He continues by saying in verse 11, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So again, he's just expressing this drastic change that happened in Onesimus' heart. He wasn't actually useless to Philemon before, but because of his wrongdoing, uh, he had become nothing in Philemon's eyes. He, he was like in a... He was in the red in Philemon's... In the account with Philemus, uh, Philemon. Uh, he had a negative account, but now Paul is saying... Onesimus has great value again. And that value, as we know, comes from Christ, right? It started at the transformation that happened in his life. So that's what Paul is alluding to here. Christ's work in Onesimus' life. He is now a fellow believer. Paul continues by saying in this section, in this new perspective, you're getting him back. I'm sending him back to you. Uh, I would have been happy to keep him. He's very useful for me. Uh, but I can't have two of my close friends at odds with each other. I'm not about that. Christ's kingdom is not about that. And so you guys need to deal with this. 
He also, Paul adds some new perspective in verse 15 when he says, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. In other words, hey, maybe it was good that you guys got some time away from each other, took a breather, settled down a bit. Um, And now what's possible is restoration that you probably didn't even think could be an option before. So Paul is pointing to how God's sovereignty is a real thing and that he sees the purpose and how everything played out and how God can use anything for his good. And then verse 16 makes abundantly clear this new perspective. Paul wants Philemon to forgive Onesimus of his wrongs even when Philemon had every right to punish Onesimus. And I just want to go further into that for a second. The Romans, this Roman culture at the time, had a very heavy class system. Status was, was everything in Rome. And it determined what status you were, determined everything about your life. Uh, people worked very hard to maintain the status that they were. And there were certain rules that you kind of had to follow. And so Philemon, being of a certain class, would have had certain protocol to follow if one of his slaves wronged him. What Paul is asking here is insane. He's asking a lot. He's, he's saying something that is so counter to the cultural norm. He's saying, Philemon, I want you to forgive Onesimus, not just reinstating him to his former position, but I want you to accept him as a brother, as an equal, as family. I mean, talk about ignoring and breaking down all societal and cultural boundaries there. Paul's new perspective is one that revolves around the transformed heart of Onesimus, and it is centered around God's kingdom. Paul is stressing to Philemon that reconciliation, this reconciliation is more than just about the two of them. It speaks to how relationships work in the kingdom of God. The reconciliation of these two is, would not just be on an earthly level, um, But Paul uses this Greek word that clues us into a little bit more. It's koinonia, which means in this context, partner. And so he's saying that if uh, these two are partners in God's kingdom, then you guys need to reconcile. So Paul's new perspective is for Philemon to go beyond what society expected of him, to see the purpose in what has transpired, and to see what is demanded of them by being a part of Christ's kingdom, which means to be brothers in Christ. Paul follows this with a holy exhortation in verses 16 through 17. And so we have some instruction now. I think three things. Number one, Philemon, uh, you receive him as you would receive myself. That's Paul saying that. Number two, for whatever wrongs he has done, whatever that adds up to, whatever that cost is, Paul is saying, charge it to my account. And number three, remember what I've done for you. Again, Paul's being very much like Christ here. And so Paul's gently approached Philemon. He's offered Philemon a new perspective of what's going on and who Onesimus is. And now Paul's saying, it's time to reconcile. He's giving some, some tough, firm love here. He's saying, Philemon, you're doing great work. I know there's something going on between you and Onesimus, but look, trust me, he's a changed man. And whatever wrong he's done to you, I'll take the blame for that. And I'll face those consequences. But you should forgive him and welcome him back, not just with the slate wiped clean, but now elevated as a brother, as family. And not just a brother in the Lord, but in a way that 
the people around you would actually take notice as to the change that's happened in this relationship. To forgive, like Philemon is required to forgive here, uh, it's something else. He's saying, Paul is saying that those two will be equals. And I want us to hear this, this part is what I want to stress. It's because no matter what, um, where we stand in society, no matter where people are in the church, everyone is an equal. Before the cross, the ground is level and all of us are guilty. And we're all in need of Christ's love and redemption. And so Paul is trying to help finally even see this. Before the cross, finally even you and Onesimus are equals. And you need to see Onesimus as Christ sees Onesimus, which is he was once a sinner, but he's now forgiven, and now he's a worker in the kingdom of God. So no longer would Onesimus be a bondservant, but he'd actually be a brother to Philemon. And in the ancient world, they didn't throw around brother and sister, kind of like we do today, like this friend, he's really close, he's like a brother to me. Or sometimes in the church, we say this person's a brother or sister in Christ to just explain some of the relational closeness. Uh, When Paul is saying brother, he means brother. He means I want you to accept him as you would a family member. So he's really asking something extreme. And to this, we just have to recognize, I think, the power of the gospel and the transformation that it incurs in our lives. Definitely on the inside of our hearts, but sometimes in powerful ways where others can see the effect and the change. And talk about uh, a conversation starter. If someone were to have seen this relationship before and then Onesimus comes back uh, and have him being around and know the situation, this would have blown their minds. You could see, imagine someone just coming up to Philemon and saying, so like, let me get this straight. You used to work for Philemon. You cheated him. You became a fugitive. And now you guys are brothers. How in the world does that work out? And Onesimus could answer and say something like, yeah, like God got a grip of my heart and he worked in Philemon's heart and we came back and we reconciled and now we're working in this church together. It's a powerful, powerful testimony uh, to, the, to the grace and mercy of God. A Roman expert uh, that you may know as Dr. David Nystrom, I call him Professor, mentioned just this week in class uh, as we're studying the early church um, that the Christian culture was so much different than Roman culture. And one of those ways is that Christians valued mercy where Romans uh, didn't at all. They despised it. There was no place for mercy in their lives. They saw it as a weakness. And so this... uh, And we know that mercy is an incredible part of our story of being a follower of Christ. And so um, this experience would have just been radical. Okay, the fourth point is Paul's Christ-like model. I mentioned at the beginning that this is the one letter that Paul writes that doesn't explicitly mention uh, Christ's um, death or resurrection. But I think we see, I know, that we see a lot of Christ through Paul in this letter as I've kind of been mentioning along the way, but right now I just want to look at it as a whole. Let's see where Paul has embodied this Christ-like role. And so just a few of them are uh, verses 8 through 9. We see Paul meeting Philemon where he's at, and that's what Jesus does for us, right? He meets us where we're at. Uh, Verses 10 through 11, Paul is a source of restoration uh, to God as he brought Onesimus to know God. That's very much the role of Christ, right? Bringing people to know God. 
Verse 17, Paul instructs Philemon to receive Onesimus as himself, taking the place of Onesimus in Philemon's mind. And again, this sounds familiar. This is exactly what Christ does for us in front of God. He, God sees Christ and the perfection that Christ is, and that allows us to have right standing before God. Uh, verse 18, Paul continues by saying he'll take on whatever punishment Onesimus deserved. It's exactly what Christ did for us on the cross, taking on the punishment of death. And then verse 19, uh, which I think is awesome. Paul is not just talking about it, but doing it. He, so Paul's in prison, right? We have that picture of Paul's in prison. Um, and he's a big enough deal where he gets assistance and scribes, I think. I was reflecting this week on maybe one day I'll get to be a big enough deal where I have scribes. I don't have to move my hands anymore. When... But to paint this picture, okay, Paul is in prison. He's talking, uh, and it's at this point in the letter. He's, he's saying all this stuff to Philemon, these instructions, the exhortation. And it's at this point that from the scribe's hand, he takes the quill himself, and he says, I, Paul, I'm, he writes it himself, I will repay it. And so he inserts himself into the situation, again, taking the responsibility of the person who actually is in the wrong. And I just, I love that part. I love imagining that scene and seeing Paul saying, like, hold on, give me that pen. And just kind of getting in there and saying, finally, when I'm serious, I will repay it. All these things, I think, point to the person and life of Christ. And so the fourth and very important part of the art of reconciliation exemplified by Paul is this Christ-like behavior. And it's not just Paul modeling it for Philemon, but encouraging Philemon to be like Christ for Onesimus. So we have our four points about dealing with conflict. Uh, But I want to ask, how does this stick with us today? Why did God include this small book uh, with people we know so little about? And what is it telling us in our lives? Well, my thought is that these principles are important, that they're for all believers, and God wanted us to know them. And so that's why we have the book of Philemon. And so let's take these four principles and apply them to our lives today. So I kind of have here as this title of when dealing with conflict, we should dot, 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 dot. And I have the four things. We should have a gentle approach in the reconciliation process. And this can be seen in two ways. Uh, Maybe... It's like uh, Paul as the mediator, meaning when dealing with uh, confronting other people's conflict uh, in their lives, be like Paul and have a gentle approach. Express love and appreciation for them before addressing the issue. Appeal to them. Don't just demand something. Or, number two, if you're in a conflict with someone, so you're a Philemon or an Onesimus in this situation, just remember the gentle approach is the way to go. Don't come in swinging trying to get uh, your point across and make sure that that person is going to understand you. Um, But have a gentle note uh, and use love. Uh, The words, uh, remember the wisdom of Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. On a more practical side, uh, one of the perks of being married to someone with their master's in communication is that I've got to learn a few things about dealing with arguments and conflict. (laughs) All purely hypothetical, of course. Um, And there's something called the communication spiral. 
And this has helped me so much when thinking of dealing with conflict, engaging the temperature of those conversations. And put simply, the principle is to try and keep from heading in a downward spiral, acknowledging that every word in those conversations uh, can contribute some way, either positively or negatively. So if I come in all heated and frustrated and demanding and all my comments have no love, then I have contributed to a downward spiral and I have set the conversation on a downward trajectory. And if the person who just received my verbal battering decides to come back at me in the same way, I would not blame them, then they have contributed to a downward spiral and we just go back and forth and it gets worse and worse. And soon there's a moment of implosion, right? Maybe we've all been there. We're just, uh, people are hurt. You've said things that you probably shouldn't have. Um, and you're even farther away from reconciliation than when you started. And so don't contribute to the negative communication spiral. And all that to say is, is be like Paul here and take the biblical approach and be gentle. Start off um, being proactive and showing love in your communication. Next would be to uh, remember that maybe it's time for a new perspective. So often we go into a situation thinking that we know, uh, we see it clearly, but really we may need to see it from another angle. Maybe like Onesimus and Philemon, uh, you need some time away from the situation to, to gain some perspective. Or maybe like Philemon, you need someone to tell you that there's a different way of looking at it. I once heard someone say, uh, the more reasons you can come up with for someone's mistake or wrongdoing, the easier it is to give them grace. And for me, that's really helped uh, just remember that in situations to have a perspective and to realize I don't know everything about where that person is coming from and why they did what they did. Um, It's not to excuse them or to say what they did is okay, but it helps my heart be softened and ready to forgive. I do this daily sometimes when especially I kind of have a bit of road rage and like not bad just like normal you know like we all do and um, there's times when people are being dummies and they're just driving crazy can I say that I said it Uh, and Becky can attest I say this out loud I'm like that person is just they maybe they're learning how to drive maybe they're Maybe they're in driving school right now. I just have to verbally give out even ridiculous things that just to help me calm down and say, I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know why they're being dumb. Okay. (laughs) I probably said too much. That was not scripted. Uh, The next thing is the holy exhortation. This exhortation speaks to the effects of true forgiveness in life and the restoration that people will feel after reconciling Conflict And the exhortation to us is don't let any cultural or societal boundaries keep you from forgiving to the fullest. It may be different. It may be weird. Others may perceive it as awkward or weird that you're doing this. But just as Paul expresses to Philemon, forgive so that the relationship is more whole than before. And I think that this kind of forgiveness demanded here is not found apart from Christ's kingdom. Only through Christ can a relationship like the one we see here be made into something more than it was before. Where two uh, people on different levels in the world's eyes are made equal in God's eyes. And so the exhortation to us today is to fully forgive like Christ forgive. Um, Don't forgive with reservations or memory of the past, but forgive in a way that mends and restores and brings people closer. 
And I know it sounds kind of idealistic. It's really hard to not remember things that people have done against you. Um, But we should try, right? We should definitely try. I don't think what Paul is saying here in Philemon is just an ideal. I think it's instruction. And I think that instruction pertains to us. And so we should have that sort of forgiveness as the goal. And then lastly is the Christ-like model. Um, Today, in those situations of conflict in your life with those people that are coming to mind maybe in this sermon of, of conflict, ask yourself, are you being like Christ with them? And this applies to whatever role you play. Maybe you're a Paul, maybe you're a Philemon or an Onesimus, but are you being like Christ? Is Christ at the center of your thoughts when approaching that person? We see in the letter of Philemon that knowing Christ is the key component that would enable the rest to happen. And so being like Christ is is very important. Um, Part of that Christ-like model may mean testifying for another person and uh, giving witness to the change that you've experienced in someone else's life. Maybe you'll have the opportunity to say, hey, I know you're mad at this person, but trust me, I've got to know them. I know their heart. I know what God is doing in them right now, and they're different. They're changed, and it's, it's okay. To, to forgive. And maybe you have to, maybe there'll be a situation where you have to put um, your own reputation on the line and resources on the line saying that whatever has happened, account it to me. I'll take care of that for this person. And that's hard. That really struck me this week. Of I don't see that or hear about that a lot in today's world of someone else having that Christ-like or what we see Paul here doing of sticking out for someone else and saying, whatever, they, whatever wrong they did, account that to me. I'll take care of that. It's hard for us to put ourselves out there for other people, realizing that it could all backfire, um, but it's amazing to see Paul do it here, and I think we should set a lofty goal like that, to, be, to literally be like Christ for someone. And then lastly, I want to acknowledge um, a whole new possibility that maybe right now you're in the role of Onesimus and the situation is out of your hands and you're trusting uh, God to work in a person's life and to bring about that reconciliation. Maybe you're seeking forgiveness and that other person is just not there yet. And I want to say that that's okay and that's good and it's a time of patience. It's a time of waiting on God. It's an opportunity to lean into him and pursue him. To get the most out of that time, it must be with God. Just like Onesimus went to Paul and sought Christ out and wanted the truth, we should do the same. Waiting doesn't mean doing nothing. What we see here is an act of waiting, a pressing into God. There's the possibility that uh, you may be waiting for a while. And there's also the possibility that you may not be reconciled until heaven when all relationships are made whole. And that's okay. Because in that meantime, you're drawing closer to God and you're knowing him more and trusting that it's in his hands. So, to wrap it all up, this little book, the smallest letter from Paul, a letter regarding some people we know very little about, turns out to be a very, very applicable part in our lives. Uh, um, It's very applicable because it deals with conflict and we deal with conflict every day. And in a world today where it's so easy for people to be vilified, um, maybe justly so, there also doesn't seem to be a lot of forgiveness out there. And, there's a, and that's a key quality of God's kingdom and of the church. And so we should take some time to think about our own lives and what we need to do in, in regards to reconciliation. 
challenge. I just want to end with these questions. Are there people in your life that you need to reconcile with? How can you have a gentle approach with them? Do you need a new perspective of the situation that you're in? Do you need to forgive like God forgives you? And in those situations, are you being like Christ? I would say that we need to be a people in our own lives individually and then collectively as a church. We need to be marked with restoration and forgiveness. And I think we should practice this art of reconciliation often for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are sovereign. You know all, and we know you want what's best for us. And you, and you know, God, that sometimes life is hard and things are difficult and relationships can be messy. And I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts and lead us to reconciliation. If there are people in our lives that we need to approach, I pray that you would give us the humility and the boldness to do so. If there are people in our lives that we need to forgive, God, I pray that we would remember what you have done for us and how you've forgiven us. And maybe as we're waiting, God, in the meantime, I pray that we would listen, uh, listen to you, that we would lean into you and, and pursue you, um, trusting you with everything that we have. May we be a church that is marked by your mercy and love. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.